Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 this morning. If you're using the black Bibles that are provided, that can be found on page 573. Isaiah 9 was written in the 8th century B.C. by the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the context in which it was written was a very dark time, dark and difficult time for God's people. As a nation, Israel had strayed from faithfulness to God and so They were experiencing moral decay, and they were also going to experience impending judgment from God at the hands of evil nations. And yet, into that hopelessness, God here in chapter 9 spoke through Isaiah to encourage his people and to give them hope. The good news was that their evil and their unfaithfulness would not be the last word. God was sending them a king. God was sending to them a great light to rescue them and to lead them in righteousness. And so let's read this promise of a coming king here in Isaiah 9. I'd ask the congregation to please stand in honor of God's word as I read verses 1 through 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, for as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Nearly 800 years after God gave these words to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary. The New Testament makes clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 9. As the eternal Son of God who became man, Jesus Christ came into this world to rescue his people from sin, death, and Satan. This month we've been studying these four titles describing Jesus in verse 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so today we've come to the fourth and final title, Prince of Peace. Loved ones, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And today I want to make three points explaining 
what this peace is and how we experience it. So we'll go through three headings this morning if you care to take notes. Number one, true peace is found in Christ alone. True peace is found in Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the one who brings true peace. And peace in the Bible is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is more than just the absence of conflict. Sometimes that's what we think of when we hear peace, right? Oh yeah, we don't want war. We don't want conflict. But shalom is more than that. Shalom carries the idea of flourishing, of wholeness, of well-being. So you see, shalom is peace in the fullest sense of the word. It is flourishing and well-being in all of our relationships and in every dimension of creation. So this peace, this shalom that, that Jesus brings consists of peace with God. And then, of course, that leads to peace within ourselves of knowing that we're at peace with our Creator. Also, peace in relationships with other people. And ultimately, peace in the whole created order. That's what Jesus is doing. Put simply, shalom is the way things ought to be. Shalom is the way things ought to be. And so we go back to the beginning. When God originally created this world, everything was in order, wasn't it? Everything was at peace. Right? Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with each other in the midst of a beautiful world with no pain or brokenness. But then Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They were not satisfied with God's provision. They were not content to live under God's rule. They wanted to rule themselves, so they disobeyed God. And their rebellion plunged this world and the subsequent generations of mankind into sin. And so now the world is broken, isn't it? Now things are not at peace. Now things are not flourishing. Now things are not the way they are supposed to be. Because now every person is born alienated from God. Every person has hearts that are at enmity with God. Not just that we're separated from God, although we are by nature, but the Bible says our hearts are actually at enmity with Him. There's, there's hostility toward God. We don't want God to rule over us. By nature, we do not thank God or want to submit to Him. We want to rule ourselves. We want to gratify our selfish desires. And then that selfishness, of course, spreads. <laughs> that selfishness and enmity and hate spreads to our other relationships as well. War, murder, divorce, theft, gossip, slander, envy, strife. All these things plague our relationships with our fellow man. And the brokenness of sin has even spread to creation itself. Though evidences of God's beauty, power, and wisdom are still visible everywhere in creation, we know that even creation itself no longer works the way it was originally designed. Now natural disasters routinely cause widespread death and destruction. So I say all that to, to say what you know because you and I live in this, right? Everything is broken and so we long 
for peace. We long for things to flourish. We long for things to be put in order. We long for things to work the way they're supposed to, don't we? Why can't our relationships, why can't we just live at peace with one another? Why does there need to be such hate? Why does there need to be such violence? Why can't we just faithfully be satisfied in God? We long for, for, for fullness, for that peace. Everything is broken and we long for peace. And the, the fact is we cannot fix this brokenness ourselves. <clears throat> We cannot reconcile ourselves back to God. We cannot change our sinful hearts. We cannot bring lasting peace to human relationships. We cannot fix the creation that groans under the curse of sin. No matter how hard we search, we cannot find lasting peace in the things of this world. Really, the best we can do is to find things to distract us from the brokenness. Find things that distract us from our alienation from God. Find things that distract us from the the broken uh, relationships around us. But none of our pursuits can restore the shalom. None of our pursuits can restore the peace that we desperately need. In summary, everything is broken and we cannot fix it. We cannot restore peace. But God can. God can restore the peace. And God does restore the peace. That's what he's doing through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, I believe it's verse 11, talks about how his plan is to unite all things together under Christ. Jesus Christ is this promised child born in Isaiah 9. And... and, his amazing grace and mercy, God himself came to fix the brokenness. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that the eternal Son of God came to earth, took on a human nature in order to restore things to the way they are supposed to be. And so Jesus is this Son who is given to rescue his people and bring peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So true peace is found in Christ alone. That was point number one. Point number two then is this. Jesus won peace through his victory. Jesus won peace through his victory. Jesus, this promised king, wins peace through victory, by defeating our enemies. Look at verse 4 of Isaiah 9. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The the he and his there is, is the Messiah's people. The you is the Messiah, King Jesus. For the yoke of his burden, the burden on God's people, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, Jesus, have broken as on the day of Midian. You see, Messiah's people were enslaved and oppressed. Again, we're all born that way. We're all born in, with a heavy yoke of, of slavery to sin and death. And so, yes, Satan dominated them. Satan dominated us with his rod of oppression. But Jesus rescues his people. Jesus breaks the staff and the, and the yoke of the oppressor from the shoulders of his people. Jesus breaks the rod of the oppressor that, that was striking his people. 
Jesus wins peace for his people through victory. That's what this passage is teaching. Jesus wins peace for his people through victory. Notice verse 4 says it will happen as on the day of Midian. That phrase, as on the day of Midian, takes us back to Judges chapters 6 through 8 when God's people were being oppressed by the Midianites. Right? They were, they were enslaved. They had a, a heavy yoke and heavy burden on them. And so what did God do? God raised up a, a Savior for his people in the person of Gideon. And Gideon was able to triumph over the Midianites. Of course, it was God working through Gideon, of course. Right? But Gideon <clears throat> excuse me, was able to triumph over the Midianites and brought peace to the land and peace to the people of God. And so verse 4 is saying Messiah is going to be like Gideon. Of course, way better. Right? The Messiah will bring peace through triumph. He will bring peace in the wake of victory. This peace that Jesus brings is a peace that he fights for and wins for us. That's the point of verse 5. Look at verse 5 now. Notice the battle scene that's described here. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Again, this verse is picturing the scene of a great battle or really the aftermath scene of a great battle. And what we should see from this verse is the enemy has been utterly defeated. It's like King Jesus came and boom, he, he defeated, he won the victory. He defeated our enemies. The boots and garments of the enemy lie strewn all over the battlefield, covered in blood, because the enemy has been annihilated. And so in the wake of this great victory, the scattered articles of the enemy, all that's left of the enemy, are gathered up and burned. This is a total victory. Jesus wins. He triumphs over our enemies, and brings peace. Again, who are our enemies? Well, by nature, we are enslaved to sin, death, and Satan, the Bible teaches. Those are our enemies. Those are the ones that we cannot overcome ourselves. Sin, death, and Satan. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we are all faced with a gigantic sin debt that we could never pay, a propensity to sin that we could never break, a required perfection that we could never attain, a domain of darkness from which we could never escape on our own. That's our situation that we're all in by nature. Meaning that apart from Christ, we're all, we all face death and eternal separation under the, the just wrath of God. But King Jesus has rescued us by defeating those enemies. Through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection, Jesus has triumphed over our enemies and secured our peace. His perfect life secures the righteousness we need to dwell with God. His suffering and death fully pays the punishment our sins deserve. His victorious resurrection guarantees our future resurrection and sets in motion the coming universal restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. The new birth that Christ gives us by his spirit through faith reconciles us to God and sets us free from the ruling power of sin. Loved ones, Jesus won our peace through his victory, through the finished work of Christ. Remember what he cries out on the cross. It is finished. That was his victory cry. You may be saying, well, if it's finished, 
if he's won the victory, where is this peace? If Christ is victorious, if Christ has won peace through his victory, then where is that peace? Things still seem pretty broken to me. And that's a fair question. And that's what we need to understand what the Bible teaches about our salvation, or this morning we're, we could say our peace. Our salvation and Christ's restoration of peace is already present, but not yet completed. Right? Theologians use that term a lot to say the already and not yet. Already but not yet. The victory has been won, loved ones. The victory was secured at the cross and the empty tomb. The culmination of that victory will take place in the future at Christ's return. So yes, we, our peace is already, but the, full, the fullness of that peace is not yet. Already we are reconciled to God through faith in Christ. That's huge, right? To have, already we know if we're in Christ through faith that we are at peace with God. Already we then are at peace with our Creator, but it's true, we still battle sin that remains in us. God is sanctifying us by His Spirit, and when Christ returns or we go meet God through death, God will fully and finally cleanse us from all sin, and we will enjoy God with perfect sinless hearts forever. So you see the already, not yet? Let's keep thinking about that. Already we've been given eternal life. But it's true, our bodies are still subject to the curse of sin. So our bodies still get weak and get sick, break down, and eventually die. But when Christ returns, He has promised He will raise us in perfect glorified bodies that will never experience sickness or death. So our our restoration, our final restoration is, has already been secured, it's promised, it's coming. Already we can live in peace and unity with one another because of the grace that God has shown us in Christ. But we admit it's, it's not easy, it takes work, right? We still sin against each other. And so by God's enabling, we, we have to forgive each other and bear with one another and maintain the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4 says. But one day, one day in heaven, we will enjoy perfect fellowship with all the saints as we together worship and enjoy Christ forever. So that final restoration is coming. Creation still groans under the curse of sin. Creation still wreaks devastation, but when Christ returns, we know He will restore creation, making the new heavens and the new earth. Right now, Satan and evil are still present, causing enormous pain and suffering, but Satan's doom is sure. When Christ returns, He will eradicate sin once and for all. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire where He will be punished forever and ever. And so, loved ones, Christians, take heart today. Christ has already won the victory. He has already brought the peace. And one day, He will restore all things to the way that they are supposed to be. That is our blessed hope. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we experience this peace? 
this peace that Christ has won through victory, this, this peace and, and full and final restoration that's coming at his return, how do we experience this peace? That's my third and final point this morning. This is important, obviously, right? We want that peace. We need that peace. Point number three is this. Peace comes by submitting to the rule of Christ. Peace comes by submitting to the rule of Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5 says. And it makes clear that that's through faith. And what I want you to understand today is that faith entails submitting to Christ, to the rule of Christ. Remember, we're talking about King Jesus here. This is the, this whole passage, along with many other passages in the Bible, speak of a, a coming king. King Jesus came to rescue, and King Jesus came to rule. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, right? We're, we're focusing on those titles. I've really been talking most of the time about peace so far, right? Let's talk about Prince. He is the Prince of Peace. Prince is a royal title. It communicates kingship. It communicates authority. This prophecy in Isaiah 9 tells of the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the king who will come and sit on David's throne forever and ever. Again, look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 continues to describe his, his rule and his authority. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right? That's such good news. And it's talking about his peace and his peace comes right in the context of his rule. Doesn't it? King Jesus came to rescue and to rule. He rescues his people by defeating their enemies. And in so doing, Jesus establishes his righteous rule forever. Right? He won the victory uh, through his, his obedient life, his sacrificial death. That won the victory. It is finished. And the resurrection declared that victory. And after Jesus rose from the dead in victory, he ascended to his throne in heaven. And Jesus reigns now from the Father's right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Ephesians 1.21 says, that's good news. <laughs> King Jesus has established his eternal kingdom. Christ's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And again, speaking about the already and not yet, Right? Right now, the kingdom of Christ exists alongside the wicked kingdoms of this world that are causing so much pain and suffering. All right, that's what Jesus taught when he came. You know, if I'm casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So right now, his kingdom exists among, amongst the wicked kingdoms of this world. But when King Jesus returns, guess which kingdom is going to be left? <laughs> His. When King Jesus returns, all the kingdoms of this world will be destroyed and only Christ's kingdom will remain. 
On that day, his kingdom will encompass the whole earth. Revelation eleven fifteen declares, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So King Jesus will eradicate all sin once and for all. Again, creation will be restored to perfection. His rule and his glory will cover to the ends of the earth. But what, I, what we need to understand this morning is King Jesus reigns now. He is ruling now. And his peace, is, the peace he brings is experienced, experienced by submitting to his rule. King Jesus is reigning now and he's building his kingdom by reconciling sinners like you and me <laughs> to God through his finished work, through the proclamation of the gospel. The Bible is clear that we are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Or we often say, the Bible often says, by believing in his name. And that's true. But we need to understand that this faith entails trusting in Christ as Savior and submitting to him as Lord. Jesus is the ruler who brings peace. And many people want peace, don't they? Who wouldn't want peace? (laughs) Who wouldn't want things fixed? Nobody likes brokenness. Nobody likes pain and suffering. Many want peace, but they don't want the rule. Right? And it doesn't work that way. (laughs) If we want to just add on Jesus without submitting to him, we're not really... We don't really have Christ. That's not salvation. We will not have forgiveness with with God that way. If we just want to add on Jesus but keep living our own life and not come under his loving rule. There will be no peace with God that way. Jesus came to rule. He came to be king in each one of our hearts. And so again, thinking back to this passage in Isaiah 9, (laughs) one of the things, the the, the truth of the gospel and the glory of the gospel does is Jesus breaks that rod of the oppressor of our self-deception, we could say. Our self-deception that we are our own masters, right? That, That I'll do it my way, you know, like I won't mention his name, he used to sing. Yeah. Jesus breaks that rod. That's self-deception. That's sin. Jesus breaks that rod. Jesus removes the yoke of, of the burden of us trying to rule ourselves. He sets us free from slavery to sin. And so true freedom, and we could even say true peace then, is, is submission to, how did he describe his yoke? His easy yoke. His, his light burden, Jesus said in Matthew 11. Those who surrender their lives to Christ know that peace. They know that relief even of not, of I'm not trying to rule anymore. I was trying to rule. I was trying to control things and it wasn't working. And now I realize that was an exercise in futility, wasn't it? Jesus is king. He's the one to rule. And so 
you experience peace by, trust, by trusting in Christ, by embracing Christ as Savior and Lord. And so do you want to know peace today? Do you want to know peace with God? Then bend the knee to Jesus. You can trust him. He is the prince of peace, and he is a good king. He's a righteous ruler. He lived and died in the place of sinners to save them. And that should show his character. That should show how loving he is. True peace is found in Christ alone. Christian today. Again, we can rejoice that by God's grace shown to us in Christ, we have peace with God. That peace is secure. That is objective peace. This is a grace in which we stand, Romans 5.2 says. Though we still struggle with sin, God promises that our sins are forgiven. They're all paid for by the shed blood of Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So we have a secure peace with God. That's objective. Whether we, whether we feel it or not, sometimes we know it is true. The judicial verdict in God's court has been declared, <laughs> forgiven, righteous in Christ. And yet, I still think there's some, something we can learn from this last point as well. Right? Obviously, this last point about uh, peace comes by submitting to Christ's rule. That was a, a call th- for sinners to repent, right? It was a gospel call. And yet there's something for Christians to learn here too. I think there's a principle for us as well. We have peace with God through Christ. And I submit to you that we will increasingly experience peace in our hearts and in our relationships the more we come under the rule of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? We have peace with God. That's done. But I think we will increasingly experience peace in ourselves and with others the more we come under the rule of Christ. Think with me. How much anxiety do we cause ourselves by still trying to be in control when, when we can't and we aren't. <laughs> what peace comes? What peace would come in yours and my life by us joyfully acknowledging God's sovereignty and trusting in His plan? <laughs> or how about this? What peace could come to your marriage? What peace could come to your family? If you seek to bring those relationships increasingly under the rule of Christ. You say, what does that look like? Well, I don't know specifically, but I would say it looks like praying together, right? It's, it's, it's praying together. It's reading God's word together. That's how Christ rules us, by his spirit, through his word. And so it's as a family saying, God, we need you. Please help us. Please help us to love one another. Help us to function together in the roles that you've given us. 
Help us to forgive one another. What peace could come in your relationships by bringing them increasingly under the rule of Christ? What peace could come to your life if you quit trying to build castles made of sand and instead pour your time and talents and treasures into Christ's eternal kingdom? Joy and peace is found in enjoying our King and living for His fame. So may God help us to come increasingly under His rule. So, in, in summary or in review, I guess I'd say, true peace is found in Christ alone. Jesus won peace through his victory, and peace comes by submitting to the rule of Christ. So, in closing, Christian, remember that Jesus is king. Take heart, because Jesus is reigning now, seated on his throne and reigning from the Father's right hand. He is the Prince of Peace. And again, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. All authority has been given to him. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but he is king. He has overcome. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So let's trust him. Let's remember that he's in control. Let's remember that he's working out his purposes. And take heart, be encouraged. You and I can, can face tomorrow. We can, we can face the next day and all of our weaknesses and all our uncertainties. We can face it without fear because we know that our times are in His hands and that we live today under the loving reign of the Prince of Peace. And remember that final peace is coming. One day everything will be put back in order. One day, Jesus will fix everything that is broken. And we will enjoy perfect joy and peace with Jesus and with all the saints in a perfect world forever and ever. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we again praise you for your amazing grace. We praise you. Lord Jesus, as we've studied these titles, we, again and again, it, we're reminded you are our warrior God. You are our prince of peace. You are our wonder-working counselor. You are our loving uh, shepherd who provides fatherly care. Thank you for coming and rescuing us. At great cost to yourself, thank you for bringing us peace and salvation and and establishing your rule, beginning the the restoration of all things. Thank you for not leaving us in our brokenness and leaving this world in its brokenness. We praise you that sin will not have the last word, that you have overcome, and that you are fixing everything, and it will never be broken again. Please add to your kingdom today. Please graciously and powerfully rescue those who are still trapped in darkness. Lord, give them the new birth. Shine the light of the glory of of Christ into their hearts. And for us who are already your people by your grace, Lord, help us to, 
rejoice in your rule and to increasingly, day by day, come under your rule that we would enjoy the peace that is already ours in Christ. Oh, may there be peace in our relationships today. We want to enjoy you and bring glory to you. So please continue to to work in, in a mighty way among us. Continue to rescue us day by day from the world, the flesh, and the devil, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing another song of praise.